started. I'll pray and I'll just introduce Jeremiah, okay? Lord, thank you for this time, for these folks that braved the weather and got here. I do pray that you'll give me clarity um, as I speak to you, to them, about the truths of your word, how important they are, and we're grateful for your word. Um, what would we do without it? Uh, we're so grateful. And Lord, so please give me clarity, help Jeremiah to uh, introduce himself in a way that people get to know him just a little bit better here this morning. So we entrust you to this class today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jeremiah, you're on, buddy. Uh, Jeremiah is our administrative pastor, and uh, I consider him one of my very best friends. He's one of the elders. Um, I can tell you uh, that we have, we have five elders, and we actually like each other. <laughs> That's not always so much true. So we go to Cancun. <laughs> That's how we go. Well, we planned this a long time ago. They had to cancel because it was COVID, and they were afraid they were going to get caught in, in Mexico. They couldn't leave their kids. So this has been a long-planned vacation. So, And one other couple, Kimmy and David Wood, are coming with us. So we're really looking forward to that. So next week, Bruce Scheidhauer will be here. But right now, it's you. Right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the backstory on that, I guess a couple of years ago, is that we were planning on going on this trip, and uh, he says that uh, we are held up because uh, we are concerned about uh, getting stuck there, getting COVID, and not being able to get back for our kids, but really that was my wife concerned about getting stuck there <laughs> and not being able to get back to our kids. So just a clarification there that uh, I was I was all game. Hey, let's go. The worst that could happen, we get stuck in Cancun. Uh, uh, so uh, <laughs> I love more kids, but uh, uh, she was she was the one that was uh, expressing. Uh, that concern, and rightly so. Uh, she uh, helps our family in so many ways. It's, that's a blessing. But um, I, would, I would be just the bonehead that contributes uh, a lot of disasters to our family if it weren't for my wife keeping things on the tracks. But um, it is good to see uh, many of you in this room, uh, some of you that uh, I'm not familiar with yet, but uh, some of you that I know have been around for a while, so it's really good to have you in here uh, and getting um, acclimated uh, to this class and to look uh, at the potential of membership uh, at New Community, and uh, that's always uh, really a blessing to us to know that uh, folks are interested in uh, pursuing that and, and kind of taking the next steps uh, towards uh, kind of getting uh, acclimated to uh, the deeper, uh, you know, commitments to the local church here. And so uh, trust that this class will be a blessing to you. Doug does a great job with it and uh, are really looking forward to uh, uh, you guys progressing through the class. And please let us know. Uh, let Doug know and uh, he'll let the rest of us know if there's anything we can do to uh, help you along in that process. Uh, that is what we're here for. But uh, as Doug mentioned, um, I'm the pastor of administration, been doing that for, uh, I guess, nearly a decade now. Uh, first came uh, to New Community uh, to be the youth pastor uh, by way of uh, Grace Community Church and the Master Seminary out in California. That's where I was at uh, when New Community contacted me and uh, they were looking for uh, a youth pastor at that time, and uh, I had some uh, connections and familiarity with uh, with St. Louis and actually with Wildwood specifically, 
uh, as soon as uh, the, the phone call took place, kind of figuring out where they were located here in the St. Louis area. Uh, because I have uh, an aunt uh, now, but an aunt and uncle at that time. Uh, my uncle uh, passed away back in 2019, but lived just five minutes away from here, and we would come back on uh, family vacations and those kind of things to visit uh, here in St. Louis because my dad grew up here in Crestwood. And so uh, I grew up in Montana. Uh, so, yes, this weather is nothing to me. Uh, this is uh, no big deal. People are asking me, hey, are we canceling church? I'm like, because it's cold? Uh, <laughs> like, uh, no, no, we're not planning on it. Um, so uh, that's uh, so. Any of this kind of weather that you think, uh, you know, uh, you're wondering if we're going to cancel, uh, the likelihood is not, <laughs> because I grew up in a whole lot worse stuff than this. Uh, this was just the normal winter day in Montana growing up. Uh, it's, um, uh, but then um, after. Um, a few years uh, there in in Montana uh, in college I moved away uh, and then went to uh, seminary following that uh, out in California met my wife there after uh, just a few weeks being there uh, dated engaged uh, for my first couple of years uh, there in seminary and then got married uh, and finished my last couple of years and then uh, new community contacted us I uh, was candidating at uh, a couple other churches other than New Community at the time, one out in Kansas, one out in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, and uh, ended up uh, wanting to come here. Uh, really, uh, there, was, there was a couple opportunities available, but um, what I was really looking for, especially not being the lead pastor of the church, is a place that if I was not going on staff there, that it is a place that I would go and take my family. Uh, and if I was going you know, to work in the secular uh, field or something, that that's a church that we would go and, and be part of. And that's really what we found here at New Community Church is, hey, that's a place that I would go if I was moving to St. Louis and uh, I, I need a good church and to raise my family. And that's, that's the kind of church that I wanna be in. And so um, that, along with uh, some bald heads and some gray hair on uh, the, the elder board, uh, especially at that time, was a real uh, asset to me as a young man, uh, wanting to have other older godly men around me in ministry. And so I uh, really had uh, that benefit going as well. And just, uh, you know, what I would say now after uh, going on 12 and a half years being here is that this has become home. Uh, this, this, we just cannot really imagine uh, being anywhere other than where we're at. And we're thankful for uh, the church here, the privilege that it is to serve on staff and to uh, function in the ways that, that I do and my wife and our family uh, here at the church is just uh, really a blessing to us and trust that uh, it has been already to you and will be uh, even going into the future. So. Uh, maybe just a short little uh, piece of this that, that kind of reversing the tape a little bit. Uh, in college, uh, while I thought I was a believer, uh, grew up in a Christian home, in church, uh, in uh, kind of the fundamentalist uh, Baptist background, if that's something familiar to you, uh, I, I grew up in that world. And, 
you know, thought that I was a believer. I had heard from the youngest days that I can remember in Sunday school that, uh, you know, mankind was, were sinners, that we needed a savior and that, uh, we needed to repent and turn, uh, to the Lord, uh, and, and confession and, and, uh, say that prayer. And so I did that at a very early age, uh, I think about six, uh, and then was uh, a few months later baptized and had that picture on my parents' wall uh, for the rest of my days uh, growing up and even into college and all of that. I remember seeing anytime I'd come back, there's the picture of when I got baptized in the, in the hall in my parents' house. And, um, you know, I just kind of always would kind of go back to this experience of saying, well, of course, I said that prayer, I got baptized, there's the picture, I'm a believer. But the problem was uh, that I, uh, especially as I moved into high school and some of those uh, early days in college, my life did not reflect the values and the principles of obedience uh, to the Lord. Uh, and if, if anything, if you were to look at my life while I may show up to church on Sunday uh, during the week, it was like, yeah, it looks just like the world. Uh, and so... Um, I had a couple events take place in my uh, sophomore year in college that uh, was just uh, really difficult uh, and, and kind of sent me in a tailspin, uh, kind of an existential crisis, if you will, and uh, really began asking some really, really big questions of life because if this Christianity thing didn't have a little bit more teeth to it than what... Uh, I have experienced up to this point in my life, then I may just ditch that altogether and go kind of the hedonistic route, you know, like just make as much money as I can, have as much fun as I can, and that's, that's what I'm going to pursue with my life because these other things are just painful and difficult and, you know, don't really want, uh, you know, anything uh, a part of that, so I'm just going to go try to live as much fun as I can. Uh, so... Asking those hard questions, uh, those big questions of life that, that I think most people will get to a point uh, at some point in their life where they're kind of asking these big hard questions, the kind of those big philosophical questions of life, like, you know, where did I come from? What's, you know, my purpose in being here? Where am I going? Like, what, what's the whole purpose of life? You know, those kinds of things. Um, and uh, God just providentially put this man into my life as I was starting to really ask those kinds of questions. And, uh, and the Lord used that and used that man in my life in a profound way. Uh, really, I didn't even know what discipleship was at that time, but he began discipling me and uh, helping me walk through the book of Romans and uh, acknowledging uh, the value of, of uh, reading some other um, you know, literature, Christian literature, and uh, started doing that and uh, got to the point through uh, really Romans chapter 6 uh, of realizing, uh, wow, I, if this is what the scriptures teach of, uh, of me, of my relationship that I should have with God, and who I am as a, as a sinner, I, I would always accept at that point that mankind were sinners. I never rejected that. That was clear to me to see uh, but I had never taken personal responsibility 
for my sin against a holy and righteous God. That had never really truly taken place. And uh, I got to that passage in Romans 6 that says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of wretchedness? And just broke me in my dorm room that night. And uh, all alone, uh, you know, prayed to the Lord. Lord, I, I think I've strived to do what I thought was honoring to you, but I clearly see none of those things just as kind of ritualistic check marks, you know, reading your Bible, going to church, doing those things, uh, were what you really wanted. You wanted my heart. And I know that I have been uh, in sin, and I need to repent and embrace you. And so it was there in my dorm room that night where I truly believe I came to know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Um, And then from that point forward was just, uh, I mean kind of this insatiable desire to know the word. Uh, I was introduced to the MacArthur Study Bible at that time, and I still have that. It kind of looks like uh, your Bible right there. Uh, truly, it's that's the best kind of Bible right there, where it's just kind of, you know, beat up and, you know, torn into, and, uh, you know, it's it's got notes galore in it, and just all kinds of uh, things that uh, I studied and was just kind of devouring. And then I would, you know, that would send me into all these other directions. And the Lord really just used that season in my life to really produce a lot of uh, maturity and spiritual growth uh, in my life and got to the point where like, wow, I'm learning all this stuff. I, I want to share this with someone else. Like this is unbelievable. And so I just kind of started doing that, and all of a sudden that turned into a Bible study in my dorm, which became like this full-blown uh, Bible study uh, there, and you know, it's clear that the Lord began to use that uh, in my desire to know His Word and share that with others, and so now I'm starting to get this interest in ministry, but I'm in business school, and like, wh- like what, how does that all work together? And um, then... Uh, Simultaneous with all of that, my parents had moved to Texas um, and found this uh, church kind of in the middle of nowhere in Texas, really, uh, that was uh, another TMS guy, master seminary uh, graduate, that they had landed in this church. And this is not necessarily the the type of churches that we would have gone to growing up. But all of a sudden, my parents are there and they're telling me, hey, we can't wait for you to come back for Christmas break. And you know, to see this church that we're now in and a young pastor really seems, you know, focused on the word and, and all that. And I said, okay, yeah, great. But, you know, quite frankly, and honestly, I I was a little suspicious because of uh, just the dynamics of of what uh, I had been learning and growing and and learning so much uh, truth at, at that time. And so I uh, went there and went in, first saw their, um, their bookstore and uh, was just loaded with books that was like all the good stuff, right? Uh, so not like the good stuff mixed with bad stuff, but just all good stuff. And I'm like, hmm, like that's, that's interesting. And then I went in and listened to Ken Ramey, the pastor, uh, preach on Isaiah 6 and the holiness of God and was an expositional sermon like what we strive to do here. And 
I was just like blown away. Like, what have my parents found here? This is amazing. And, um, and so we go to lunch afterwards. I'm like, whatever you do, stay here. Don't go anywhere. And they're like, well, yeah, we, we wouldn't think of going anywhere. But uh, I knew um, just based on, uh, you know, some of the theology that was being taught and, you know, all that there, that there was going to be some questions uh, in time that would come up. Sure enough, I go back to school for spring semester. I start getting phone calls from my parents saying, hey, yeah, you mentioned at that lunch that we might hear some things that, um, you know, we might be challenged with. And uh, we're starting to hear some of those things like election, which you guys will go through here in a couple of weeks, but uh, in some different theological doctrines that uh, might be uh, hard to swallow a little bit at times. And uh, I got to walk through that season with my parents. And now, uh, fast forwarding the tape, my parents are here uh, at our church and uh, have been for, I think, uh, what, three years now? Uh, something like that. And uh, it's, just, it's just a real blessing. But that's just a short kind of snapshot of my life. And, and uh, the Lord took me uh, from that point, uh, from being introduced to Ken Ramey, his ministry, they began discipling me. I began to spend uh, after, well, actually during my, between my junior year and senior year of college that summer, I went down there and spent some time. And then after college, I went and spent some more time there. And they just discipled me and encouraged me to go to seminary. And so I applied and I got accepted. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm driving across the country to Southern California to go to seminary. And just like pinching myself because at one time, you know, I was first introduced to the MacArthur Study Bible and the first book I'd ever read by John MacArthur being hard to believe. And now I'm driving across the country to go to his church and his seminary, uh, which was all just very surreal experience. But um, that said, uh, spent four years there, um, been here uh, for the last 12 years. We've had four kids here. Uh, so we've got Noah that's uh, 11, uh, Hudson that's 10, and then Colette that's uh, 7, and Adeline that's 6. I think I got all that right. There's <laughs> birthdays coming, just happening, just coming up. So I think I got all that right. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, this is home. This is uh, our family. And and all of that, that, that we're just really privileged to, to be here and thankful for, for each of you here. Uh, any questions with any of that story that uh, I shared? I'm happy to take a minute and share anything that... How long have you been married? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, 14 years, 15 <laughs> years in uh, August. So, yeah. I just yeah. wondered if you had siblings. I have one older uh, half-sibling. So... Um, uh, I, we never thought about it like that. Uh, it was always just, she's my sister. Um, but yeah, my mom had been previously married, um, and, uh, had my sister, but by the, she was, uh, she met my dad, uh, by the time that she was like two, uh, married and then they had me and, uh, so we're just like three and a half years apart. Um, she's up in, lives in Idaho and, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> And uh, so I actually have one of her daughters, Zepha, if you've ran into her. She's my niece that goes here to New Community as well. Uh, so she moved here about, uh, I think, oh, I'm losing track. Uh, is it two years? Maybe two years ago, something like that. Yeah. So. And re recently, 
came to Christ. Yeah, yeah. So she actually came to Christ uh, right before uh, moving here and uh, then wanted to move here, uh, be near us and my parents and to be in the church here and all that. So uh, real, real privilege to have her as well. Yeah, Lynn. So you have a bachelor of business? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You want me to tell a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have two yeah degrees. very very different backgrounds so yeah I, I went to undergrad assuming and thinking that I'd be in business that's kind of what my heartbeat was uh, at the time especially as an unbeliever it's just um, you know I go into business I had a lot of family uh, in business and um, that just was kind of the natural thing that I wanted to do uh, so that's what I did. I went to undergrad for business, and then, um, as I mentioned in that story, kind of got most of the way through that program, uh, really, you know, a, a few months away from, from graduation, and then the Lord started getting a hold of my heart, saved me, and, you know, then giving me a heart for ministry. So I really thought that that business degree was now kind of, you know, just to throw it away, and, you know, well, whatever that four years was for. And uh, then Ken Ramey, the guy that was discipling me that was at uh, Lakeside uh, there in Texas, uh, I was kind of working through all that, trying to figure out what to do about ministry and my interest and uh, them helping, you know, direct me and shape me in that way. And, uh, and I said, so, yeah, I guess, you know, that, you know, the business degree was just kind of, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what to do with that. Yes, the Lord used all that. And you know, to bring me to himself and to, to work through that. And so I guess that's kind of what it was for, but otherwise I, I guess I don't do much with that now. And he said, well, you know, don't, don't be so quick to think that. Um, he said, if, if you were to go to seminary as we're talking about, uh, and you had that business background and training accompanied with a seminary theological, you know, training, um, those two, I would give my right arm for that, a guy on staff like that. I'm like, really? Why? And, you know, I was just young and naive and had no idea really the, the, that side, the administrative side and business side of a church. You know, I just was thinking these were two very separate worlds uh, and coming to realize that God could use uh, both of those things, kind of bringing them together uh, for the good of his church. And uh, that was just kind of mind-blowing to me. I was like, okay, I don't know what that would look like or anything. But then Ken and those guys there started giving me, like, some experiences, like, with both sides of ministry, like the, like, teaching and, you know, that kind of thing, but also with, like, you know, the administrative side of, of the church there. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, I start, I'm starting to see it a little bit. And then I went out to Grace Church, and they gave me a ton of opportunities there. There's, you know, more than... Uh, anybody can do there. Um, and uh, then I really began seeing like, okay, the Lord can clearly use uh, these things. And there's a lot of guys in ministry, like pastors that don't have that administrative side uh, that I could come in and help and serve and compliment, you know, their ministry. And so that really is my heartbeat is just to come in and help facilitate and serve um, while being um, understanding the philosophy of ministry and the theological uh, underpinnings of what a local church ministry should be. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that, that kind of helps, but, yeah, the Lord has 
uh, seen fit to use both of those things and to bring all that together uh, for hopefully the good of his church. So, uh, yeah, yeah, thanks for, I meant to mention that a little bit, but anything else? Don't be shy. This is your time because he runs around like a chicken with his head cut off every Sunday and you just can't grab it. Well, it's really good to have all of you in. I look forward to getting to know you. I did mention in church, and we'll mention to you, uh, if you've not been to one of our newcomer nights, uh, January 26th, I'm sure it'll be mentioned, but a couple of weeks uh, from now, uh, Friday night over at Pastor Rich's house, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you've not been to one, or if uh, if you'd like to come again, uh, we'd love to have you. So thanks for having me come in. Thanks, Glad I made it this time. Yeah, yeah, the last two classes, he forgot. We had to go track him down. Uh, what, he, what he didn't tell you is the first time I met Jeremiah, um, he was out at Grace. I had heard, I wasn't on elder board at that time, I had heard that we were kind of courting him. And so I, I called him and said, hey, let's grab breakfast. So we did. I was out there because there was a Resolve conference. I was involved with the college and career at that time, and I brought a bunch of those kids out there. For that conference, and so I was able to meet Jeremiah. Actually, that was in Palm Springs, we, uh, Palm Springs, California. Beautiful place. Um, and Jeremiah was there because he was a part of that whole conference. And I, I noticed he kept moving this thing up. So I thought, man, pretty soon you're going to be in the middle of the class. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. doing this. <laughs> right. thought, oh, are you practicing for when you get older? <laughs> Or what? What are you doing there, buddy? <laughs> Back it up. So anyway, um, so so we're eating, and I said, so so right now it was boiled down to our church and the church on the East Coast. I guess that was Lynchburg. I said, what's it going to take, Jeremiah? Because uh, I'm in a bribery mode right now, and I, and if if I'll tell you what, you choose our church, and Lynn and I'll take you and Courtney to a really nice restaurant. What, how's that sound? You know? and, uh, and I was buying his breakfast. And, and, uh, at, and he also said, he said, well, I really want to go where I'm most needed. So he chose our church. <laughs> now, I don't know what that was telling me, but, but I, we administratively, um, we, we needed, we did need help. This guy said I'd give my right arm for a guy like that. My own son told me, hey, if Jeremiah's ever thinking about moving on, I'll take him. I said, yeah, over my dead body. <laughs> I can make that happen, Dad, you know. Uh, but so, so Jeremiah decided this was the place we needed to come uh, for a number of reasons. One, the church, he really enjoyed the church. But two, uh, we needed administrative help. I mean, um, our guys, you know, I'm, I'm not business-minded. Uh, Jeremiah is. And he saw that we needed help with the health care, you know, for the, for the uh, how to set up a retirement. Um, are, are we paying into certain things that we should be paying into? All of that stuff needed to be implemented, and Jeremiah was perfect for it. So he is kind of the hub. Um, he makes things flow. Uh, when Rich came in, he also had tremendous administrative skill. He sat under MacArthur, and he was an administrator of the Master Seminary. One of the things we said to Rich was, will you be able to stay in your lane? Because Jeremiah's got this. And he said, I want to get in the other lane. <laughs> I, I'm tired of administrative stuff. It's really, it's very difficult, and to have a guy like Jeremiah here, uh, is one of the reasons I'm even um, thinking about this place because I really would like for that to happen. And both of them have stayed well in their lanes um, and, and are 
Right. It's been a we all, we call them the dynamic duo uh, because they work together so well. So we're very blessed here uh, to have a guy like Jeremiah. He is just um, such an asset to New Community Church. We're really grateful for him. All right, well, he mentioned in a couple of weeks we were going to get into the Doctrine of Election. Well, it's going to be today, so uh, we're going to do that right now. But we're going to, I want to talk to you about unity. Um, I mentioned to you last week that, um, well, we got it. Well, let me just do a little bit of review. Last week we talked about what a church is, what a church isn't. Uh, what I'd like to do is just emphasize one of the reasons that we stress uh, membership is found in Hebrews 13, 17. I quoted it last week. I'll do it again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's a frightening verse for people that are in leadership in churches. It should be a frightening verse. It's a healthy fear. Uh, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, uh, the writer goes on to say. So it's really hard for us to know who we're accountable to God for if people are coming and going and coming and going and church hopping. And we need to know who's committed to us so that we can be committed to them. That, that's really the primary motivation of membership. Uh, it also gives you a sense of ownership once you're here and you realize, all right, this is my family. And I want to plug in because in, in a family, you work together. So that's good for you. Um, so we'll talk about all that another time. But um, today I want to talk about, um, about unity of doctrine. Um, there are all sorts of ways that unity can be disrupted. In fact, I'll throw it out to you. What are some of those ways that unity in a church, perhaps some of you have come from a church that went through a split or there were just division and what, what were some of the, the dynamics of that where unity is just, you don't, you, you walk in and you can just sense there's something not right. You know, there seems to be people at each other's throats here. What would cause that in a church? Any idea? Them changing their doctrine. Yeah, to, uh, doctrinal changes, which is what we're going to focus on today. Uh, unity of doctrine. If somebody, um, and, and we've had people come here who got tired of hearing about, um, I want to be careful, um, um, some, of the, some of the trends of our culture, all right, um, that rather than sticking to the scriptures, they start dealing with the trends, and, th and they become the focus, and we really steered clear of that. Um, uh, Rich openly addressed uh, a couple of sermons. He addressed some of those trends and, and expressed to everybody, this is why we're staying right here in this book, because the trends will come and go, uh, but the book stays the same. So that's why we're, we're... And we had tons of people come from a lot of different churches who said, I just want to hear what the Bible says. That's all I want. Uh, I'm tired of hearing about all the cultural trends. So, um, yeah, that's one thing, unity of doctrine. Anything else that could destroy unity? I don't necessarily know if this is the same thing, but yet I guess preaching styles being, um, preaching various, like, is it expositionally or topic? Topic, yeah. right, right. There's nothing wrong with occasional topical mm -hmm. preaching. Nothing wrong with that at all. There's times when a pastor thinks, I have got to address this issue. 
Uh, Jerry used to take time before an election. He never got partisan, but he got before an election. He would talk about the moral issues that will help govern your choices. Um, and then sometimes you you know even with that you're like okay, they're both pretty bad, but you that so topical is important at times. But if that's what the preacher does, here's what I found. This was true in my old church. The preacher would pick the topics that he was comfortable with. Uh, expositional teaching is good first for the preacher. Jerry used to say, the Lord beat me up all week so I could come in here and beat you all up. <laughs> you know? but, but the point is, he was convicted. You know, If the preacher has a problem with materialism, and he reads in Hebrews 13, 5, because he's going through it, to be content with the things that you have, because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, then he's got to deal with his own heart. I'm not content. Um, or if he's got a problem with, um, with, with his eyes, and he's reading, Jesus says, if you look at a woman with light, he's got to deal with that in his own heart. So preachers who ch- preach topically will avoid those topics, because they don't want to be convicted. But expositionally, you hit them all. You hit them all. So it's good. It's sanctifying for the preacher as well as for the congregation. But all right. Yeah. So um, this kind of springs back to the administrative stuff. Um, when I was eight or nine years old, my mom and dad and I think a good many other people left the church that we were going to at the time because the church, um, the church was always complaining about lacking budget and lacking funds. And... <clears throat> and, and their administration, as far as I could tell, was horrible. Um, they tore down a perfectly functional parsonage and rebuilt a new one, and then complained that they didn't have funds. The funds, know, okay, take care of like that. And that really tore up the church. But also at the same time, we got this pastor who could not preach an intelligible sermon to save his life. He he would preach very passionately and get very angry and very red in the face, but you couldn't understand a word he was saying. He was. He could take a sermon from Third John, which is probably one of the shortest books in the Bible, and you couldn't find anything remotely close to a sermon anywhere in Third John. And that combination of obtuse preaching and constant induced money worry from the church just not only not only did my parents leave, but I think a lot of other people that we knew left. And that church had been around for over 100 years, and under that pastor, for the first time, they had less than 100 members. Oh, oh that's a shame. I mean, that, well, one of the, we'll go through this, not in next week. Bruce will go, next week he'll hit the tail end of the doctrine things that we talk about. But he'll also talk about reputation of, uh, of Christ, and that's dealing with church with church uh, discipline and also sin in your own life. The following week we'll talk about elders and the, the qualifications for an elder. And the difference between the qualifications of an elder and the qualifications of a deacon, there's all the same characteristics except one, ability to teach. And that's what we look for in an elder. Number one, can he teach? Can he teach? Where people are looking and saying, oh, I got that. I understand what he's saying. Or are people walking away glassy-eyed going, I have no idea what I just heard. That's the ability to take complex things and make them simple is something a, uh, an elder should be able to do. So that's that can that can mess a church up. You're right, and and some of the administrative stuff. If, you know, um, MacArthur said to Rich once. Rich was telling me about this. He said, um, John said, uh, Rich, when you go to a congregation, if they trust you, they'll entrust their wallet. If they don't, 
they'll snap it shut. So trust is huge in a church. And, and apparently the trust was being broken in that church. And by the way, December's giving, I, I mean, when we had our, our um, elders meeting, we had to do it Zoom because Rich was sick. When Jeremiah told us what was given by you all, in the month of December, I mean, all of our jaws dropped. We're like, what? Are you kidding me? And that wasn't just one or two people giving a ton of money. It was across the board, people. Well, that, that scared us because that means we're, we're, we're being trusted here. And, and we could lose that trust if we're not careful. So that was a huge responsibility that Jeremiah dumped on us when he mentioned that. But thank you. Um, you know, I'm sure some of you had a part in that, but we, we said that the month of December, we, were, we, we met budget, uh, and month of December was going to be used just to, to put money aside for a building, and, and y'all responded. So we'll, we'll talk about that. I think February 2nd, they made Jeremiah may talk about that. February 2nd, by the way, there's going to be a baptismal service. It's a Friday night uh, baptism service. If you haven't been to one, you got to come. Um, and then I think Jeremiah will talk a little bit about some of the administration, some of the things that, have, that are happening in the church right now. So yeah, okay, so that, and um, you, you mentioned unity of, of doctrine. Um, uh, one, one, one way to destroy uh, unity in the church is gossip, gossip. right. Um, one of the words for uh, Satan in the Greek is um, slander, slanderer. You're never more like Satan. Jerry used to preach from the from the pulpit. You're never more like Satan than when you're slandering. Uh, that's kind of scary. So you know, gossip is saying things about about people that may be uh, true, but but you're saying it behind their back, and it's not helpful. And uh, slander is when you're just flat out lying about somebody and ruining their reputation. Um, and all those things destroy uh, ministries. So. Uh, please, you know, um, uh, if people come to me and they start talking to me about somebody in the church, I will ask them, and why are you telling me this? Have you gone to the person? Have you spoken to the person? We'll talk about that next, uh, next week. I hope Bruce will talk about that uh, in dealing with sin. Are, are, have you spoken to them first before you've come to me? Uh, if I'm not a part of the solution, then why, am, why are you making me part of the problem? No, you go to them. That's the Bible way, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Uh, don't talk to me about things that you don't like about somebody else. You go to them, um, and if they've sinned, hopefully they'll repent. All right, so uh, unity. So we're going to get to that uh, right now. Um, yeah, Al Mohler refers to the fundamental doctrines uh, we hold, we call them first order doctrines, and that's the way only because that's the way he referred to them. And I thought that was a great, great uh, way to phrase it. Al Mohler refers to these fundamental doctrines as first order issues. That is doctrines most central and essential to the Christian faith. He writes, "Quote: These first order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, and a denial of these doctrines represent nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself." And we're going to talk about those. Um, we have first order, second order, third order. Um, and the ones we require of members is at least first order. Some of these first order truths of the faith that we'll be discussing in just a minute is the authority and inerrancy of the Bible. Uh, the second one is who is God and how has he manifested himself 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How is a person made right with God? Regeneration. Those are some of the fundamentals. We get those wrong, then as Al Mohler rightly said, this might lead to nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. Years ago, I met with a young man who was starting to uh, veer uh, from the Bible. And uh, we were talking at that time, one of the trends years ago, and now it's mainstream, was um, homosexual marriage. And what do we think about that? And uh, took him to Romans 1, and God's very clear about that. He's very clear. Um, Always there's love, but never acceptance of the sinful uh, behavior. And he said, well, I just, I don't believe that. And I said, well, then the problem is that you have denied what the Bible clearly says. And having done that, then you've become a judge of the book. And you've not let the book judge you. And I fear for your family. And today, his family is split. Um, And that was sad to us because they were kind of our right-hand people in college and career. He just kind of veered. He went with the culture instead of staying with the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. Al Mohler categorizes second-order issues as doctrines that do not call into question one's salvation, but over which there's good faith disagreement that might inhibit fellowshipping together in the same congregation. Like um, some of those uh, second-order issues might be, um, might be baptism, mode of baptism, uh, infant um, believers. Uh, women's ordination, can women be pastors in the church? Uh, and then church government, how are, you, how are you governed? Is it congregational rule or, or is it elder rule? Um, and others. Uh, of these second order issues, Mueller says many of the most heated disagreements among serious believers take place at that second order level. Maybe you had some, you know, uh, you know people that go to a church perhaps that has uh, a, a lead woman pastor and you've had disagreements with them. And, and those, they can be heated. You've got to be careful. You know, they can be heated. Um, uh, these issues frame our understanding of the church and its, and its ordering of the word by the, uh, by the word of God. Now, it could be argued that some of those issues might call into question, do you really believe the Bible or not? Um, that's true. Um, but that's, they're still not on the same level as the ones that I just said, the authority and inerrancy of Scripture, uh, how God has manifested himself in the Trinity, and how a person is made right with God. And then third order issues. Muller writes, are doctrines over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship right here in this church, uh, even within local congregations, such as, can anybody think of a third order that where we could have banter and disagreement, but still maintain close fellowship here in this church? Any, anybody think of a doctrine that might be, uh, that we might be able to do that with? How about the end times? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, by the way, Rich is going to, after he gets through, Jer- uh, through John, so I'll be six years from now. Well, so when he's done with John, <laughs> um, he's going to hop over to Revelation for a little while. And uh, people have been asking, can we talk a little bit about some of the end time stuff? We see stuff going on in the world. It's like blowing up. What's, what's happening, you know? So I think he is going to jump into that. Um, but third, like eschatology, end times, what's going to happen in the last days? Uh, it, we have disagreements here in this church. We've had people teach equip classes who have a completely different view of what we hold. Uh, we've just asked them not to make that a soapbox issue. 
uh, you can hold to those views, um, but please uh, don't make it an issue upon which we could end up having a split of some kind. And uh, we wouldn't put them in front of people to teach if we thought for a minute they would violate that and undergird us and undermine us. We wouldn't do that. And they've always been very, very kind and gracious and said, no, I won't do that. But we still banter in the background and talk about those differences. Last night we had a congregation with a couple, I mean, a, a, a conversation with a couple who disagreed with some of the things we teach in eschatology. And I, I just said, look, we can banter. This is wonderful banter. Um, but agree to disagree and, and, and love each other dearly. Uh, so that's a third order. Doug? Yes? I understand the definition of first and third. Can you say the definition of second again? Well, the, all right. I'll, I'll just read what, um, what Moeller writes. He says, um, they don't call into question one's salvation, but there may be good faith disagreements. So it's, uh, you, you believe the inerrancy of the scriptures. You believe the way God has manifested himself. You're not a Jehovah's Witness who believes that Jesus is an angel. Um, you, you, Michael the Archangel, you're not believing that. You're, and, and you understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, salvation. Um, so those are the... Those are the first order. The second order then might be um, a little bit less important, but still heated disagreements can occur. Yeah. Does that make sense, Christian? Okay. All right. Is that due to interpretive differences of Scripture, though? Yeah. One person reads it this way, another person reads it this way. Yeah. Theologians look at things differently sometimes. Yeah. And you know what? That's right, and, and uh, an example of, of guys who disagree on some of these definitely third-order issues, um, like mode of baptism, that would be a second, but uh, do you remember R.C. Sproul? Uh, all right, R.C., uh, John MacArthur, close, close friends. Uh, John spoke at his funeral. Uh, locked arms when it came to defending the scriptures and the inerrancy of the scriptures and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, locked arms but totally disagreed on eschatology and mode of baptism, but had fun in their disagreements. They would banter in front of everybody, you know. So I thought they really set a good example of how to deeply respect somebody who differs from you, but love them openly, but disagree with them. And it was a great example to me to say, okay, we can do this. We don't have to fight over these things. MacArthur even went into R.C.'s pulpit once and said, can we just complete the Reformation, R.C., and, and, and do away with some of the infant baptism stuff? Can we just complete the Reformation? R.C.'s like, I cannot believe you came into my pulpit and said those things, you know, but that's the level of friendship they had and the trust they had with each other and the fun they had with each other. So it's possible to have those disagreements without, without fighting, although they had heated disagreements, especially on the golf course. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we believe it's only fair and right for you to know our doctrinal positions before you decide to join us. And likewise, if you do decide to join us, it's only right and fair for you, for you to uh, humbly, hopefully, um, submit to the teaching here. And should you have a different view on a third order issue or something like that, uh, you would commit to speak evil of no one. This is Titus 3.2, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. 
So that's what we're asking as an attitude is uh, an attitude of, of humility that says, you know what, I don't have all the answers. I'm not omniscient. I think I understand what the scriptures say on some of these lesser issues. I could be wrong. Uh, I want to come in with a humble attitude. That's what we're asking. That's what we're asking. Uh, more, moreover, as we talked about earlier, the elder's expectation is that every member will be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. So uh, I call it a fight for unity. Um, where you're not going to be one of the ones that's going to foster disunity with, with gossip or slander or did you hear what so-and-so said? I can't believe they said that. Or, you know, I had a person come to me and say, I, I thought I overheard you say this. I thanked them profusely for coming to me first. I did correct them and said, that's not what I said. You misheard, but thank you for coming to me first. You could have gone to three other people, but you didn't. So I really commend you for that. Now, if you do ever have a question or a disagreement about any teaching here at the church, um, rather than stir up division, just call us. Get a hold of us. I, I had a guy in a class here. Um, we're going to talk about election in just a minute, and he really struggled with that. came from a, a Southern Baptist background. My, my son is a Reformed Southern Baptist, so he does believe what we believe here. Uh, but not all Southern Baptists do. And um, he really exalted free will and was upset that we would say that God chose people from the foundation of the world, which Ephesians 1 says, but, uh, but he was upset about that. And so we went to my favorite restaurant, which is, see if you were listening, the McDonald's. It's French, <laughs> McDonald's. Got to give it a little dignity. Uh, so, yeah, and we ate over a, an Egg McMuffin and agreed to disagree. We, we walked away from that having hugged, and, uh, and he's in a different church, uh, not down, not far from here. Um, and he's, he, I, I've known him for years. I uh, was excited that he came, but that was the doctrine. And so it's okay. It's okay. That's, it, that's exactly the way the class is to work. Um, he decided, nope, this is not for me. So, all right. Um, you've got your booklet in front of you. Obviously, we're not going to cover everything. The website has some stuff on it. Uh, for further information on some of the doctrines we're going to start talking about here in just a minute, um, I, I've, I've got this essential Christian doctrine. Um, it's really a summary of his systematic theology book, which is twice as big as this. But we've used this in the forge. Uh, the men have used this in the forge. It's a great book to get. I don't know, about 25 bucks. It's worth having in your library just to uh, reference. Uh, essential Christian Doctrines by MacArthur. So uh, it's helpful. And there's others out there that are uh, really helpful in understanding some of these basic Christian doctrines. Um, well, so let's start with the Bible. Um, we strive to, to ensure that everything we teach here and do as a church is grounded in and faithful to the Word of God. It's our only fully trustworthy and sufficient authority. Uh, I can't overestimate that. I can't say it even more, uh, more strongly than that. The Bible is the word of the living God, fully inspired, without error, in the original manuscripts. Um, it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It has supreme and sole authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, um, 16 and 17 says... All scripture is breathed out by God, inspired, some of your translations read. 
inspired or breathed out. I like that better. It's just more descriptive. Breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible's sufficient to make you who God wants you to be, and that's more like his son, Christ. That's the goal of sanctification, to make you like Jesus. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's a really good verse for the inspiration of the Scriptures. And perhaps the greatest argument for believing that the Bible is true and without error is the testimony of Jesus himself. Yeah, your word is true, he said in John 17, 17. Rich is going to get to that fairly soon. Scripture cannot be broken, he wrote again in John 10, 35, uh, he said. And then in Matthew 5, 18, he said, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus had a high view of Scripture. Uh, he believed and referred to many of the Old Testament stories and characters as historical fact. So someone who says they're a Christian but doesn't believe, say, that Adam and Eve existed or that the flood of Noah happened are denying the very one they say they put their trust in for the salvation of their soul, Christ. That's, that's not good. Um, I would call that arrogant. Arrogant. Um, to say that. Well, I know better than Jesus. Je Jesus referred to the creation of the universe, Adam and Eve, the fall of man, Noah and the flood, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Jonah and the whale. It's one that's always refuted. Jesus referred to it and used it as an evidence of his resur coming resurrection. The prophets, King David, Jesus quoted extensively from the Psalms and prophets and many more. So to reject the authority of the Bible is to reject the authority of Christ himself. That's a big deal for a professing Christian. Sometimes Christians don't connect those dots, but you need to connect the dots. Kevin DeYoung put it this way in his book, Taking God at His Word, which we studied actually in, uh, in Forge. Forge starts the 26th, the same day as, I believe, the uh, dinner that he just mentioned forges that morning at 6.30 for you men who aren't going you should go it's really good you can live stream it too some of the ladies do that they're like can I come no sorry it's for men but you can live stream it so a lot of them do uh, Jesus believed scripture was the word of God and as such it would be gross impiety to think that any word spoken by God or committed to writing by God may, might be an errant word a wrong word or a broken word couldn't, couldn't be said better than that. Our beliefs. We teach that there may be several applications of any given passage of Scripture, but there's only one intended meaning and true interpretation. Now, admittedly, it takes a lot of work to sometimes dig what that is. That's why Rich spends hours, and Jerry did the same when he was preaching. Uh, he would spend hours. Some, some preachers, unfortunately, in some churches decide on Saturday what they're going to preach on Sunday. I, the church I went to years ago, I remember going to a discipleship meeting, and my pastor said to me Saturday morning, so what do you think the church needs to hear tomorrow? And I was young and naive. I'm like, I, I don't know. I, you got your finger on the pulse. I don't know. You decide. You know? and he hadn't even started studying. And I, I look back on that today, and I'm like, that's just gross negligence. That's just terrible that you, didn't, you haven't even cracked your – it's not true here. Um, Rich and Jerry, same – come from the same cloth. 
hours they would spend uh, over going, going over just a sentence to try to figure out what that means. So they poured their work into it in order to present it to you. If you haven't thanked them, I always thank Rich. Thank you for your hard work. I know you spent a lot of time uh, at Wolf's Cafe with your things on, you know, um, pouring over the scriptures. Um, have you seen them there? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, we teach, of course, there may be several applications. So yeah, that's why we do small group, by the way. Uh, our small group, and we're uh, most small groups, I don't, I don't know of any that do, this, do it differently than this anymore, but most of the small groups now just apply what we learned this week. Like Jeremiah <clears throat> preached last week on Psalm 115. Uh, we talked about making God, uh, God be God in your life. Is he in charge? Is, uh, and then he talked about idols and idols. So some of the questions, what are the, what are the idols of your heart? Uh, what, what, are you, what are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? What, what are you placed above God? What do you need to do about that? We apply what we've learned. So rather than just go, go to lunch after church and go, wasn't well, that a good sermon? Yeah, what do you, what do you say? We apply uh, so we remember uh, and take advantage of the hard work they put into it so we can apply it to our lives because otherwise it's kind of worthless. All right. Um, the meaning of Scripture is best found when one diligently applies the principles of hermeneutics. It's a big word. It simply means how to study the Bible um, and what some of the principles you use, um, like the principle of, of uh, the literal principle, the grammatical principle, the historical principle, um, context, so important, uh, and, and doing those methods under the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. First thing you ought to do when you open your Bible in the morning and read it, and just say, Lord, yeah, open my eyes to the beauty of the truth that I'm about to read. Uh, ask the Lord to intervene before you do that. John 16, 12 through 13 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Um, I think John, I think he just went through this. Yeah, we just mm -hmm. talked about this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare it to, to you, the things that are to come. And then a, a series of verses there, I think they're mentioned in your, in your book. So it is the responsibility of believers to carefully ascertain the true intent, the authorial intent of the Bible. What did the author mean by what he said? Um, and the meaning of scripture, recognizing that proper application is binding on all generations. All right, um, I'm going to move on to the Trinity, a really easy subject. Uh, <laughs> sarcastic. There is one living and true God, eternally existent in three persons, and these persons are equal in divine uh, perfection, in every divine perfection, as they execute providence and redemption. Um, Matthew 28, 19, this is one of the references, I'll give you two, where the, the Trinity is mentioned. Uh, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all na nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is how we uh, baptize people here. Um, Mark 1, 10 and 11 says, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in, in whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all mentioned. Other verses you can reference are 1 Peter 1, 2, and then 1 Corinthians 12. I think they're all in your book. I'd be the first to admit any attempt at understanding the Trinity or any illustration of it falls short. 
Um, people use the three um, conditions of water, um, ice, steam, liquid. Um, it's all falls short. Um, it all falls short. Uh, but God is who he says he is. Um, someone once said, uh, trying to understand the Trinity, right? It's like uh, you'll wind up under a bed saying the Greek alphabet backwards. I mean, it's just really impossible for our minds to grasp. Um, Jehovah's Witness would come to me. What's one plus one plus one? It's three. What are you talking about? I said, no, that, uh, you, you're trying to grasp something with your, your finite mind. Because um, then I would go and talk about what I'm about to, and that's the um, deity of Christ. All right, so we, we just let God be God. Let him be God. As he has revealed himself, that's what we try to teach, as hard as it is sometimes to understand. You, he's God, you're not. Um, sometimes you just have to humbly bow. God the Father. Uh, that's referred to in theology circles as theology proper. Not sure why. I'm going to ask somebody who came up with that, but uh, that's God, the study of God the Father. Um, God the Father is an infinite personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. We believe that he concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of men. He hears and answers prayer. He saves from sin and death all who come to him through Christ. Uh, John 3.16 is perhaps one of the best verses to, to show that. Um, and we all know what it says. For, God's, for God, the Father, so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, I used to sing that song, um, and I, I still sing it to this day. It's just so beautiful. Um, uh, it's some, that's preaching the gospel to yourself and reminding yourself of what God has done on your behalf. You don't ever want to forget that. Otherwise, you become, um, un, uh, you become ungracious to others because you, you just forget how, how kind God has been to you. But we recently went through that study of theology proper at the Forge, um, we also went through Christology, God the Son, and Pneumatology, God the Holy Spirit. We did all of that. The Forge is really kind of a mini-seminary for men, uh, so it digs deep. Uh, some of the stuff is really tough. When, when uh, we went through some of that stuff, um, I turned around, and there's Marv behind me. I said, Marv, are you? He goes, no, dog, my eyes are glazed, totally glazed. <laughs> this is just really heavy stuff. Um, it just exalts God in your mind. So you, you begin to see him, glimpses of him for who he really is and, and who you are. And it, uh, it's so good for our soul to do that. Um, 6.30, Friday morning, starting uh, January 26th. Get that plug in. Uh, God the Son, Christology. That makes more sense, the study of Christ. Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We do believe in the virgin birth. That, uh, it's a, that wasn't um, something that, that we, we don't understand. It didn't really happen, and that some liberal churches teach that. No, we believe it really happened. His sinless life, his miracles, his teaching, we believe in his substitutionary atoning death, his bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for his people, and his personal visible return to, church, uh, to this earth. And which um, I, in my uh, humble opinion, can't happen too soon. Um, I'm looking. Uh, our, our, our posture should be Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. I mean, can you, I mean, when he takes, 
sometimes I just, I, I have dreams about this. <laughs> you know, I'm, as I'm going up, I'm yelling at the people down, going, you got to trust them, this is it. You know, it's going to happen. Looking for that glorious appearing and the blessed assurance and glorious appearing of, a, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's one of the verses I point to people to for the deity of Christ. Uh, some other verses regarding the deity of Christ. Um, can anybody think of one off the top of their head? A verse that might, might indicate that God, uh, Christ is God in the flesh? I am the Father of one. That's a really good one. Yep. Any others? Uh, remember when Thomas said, Doubting Thomas, that's where he got his name, right? I won't believe. What did he say when he saw him? My Lord and my God. You know how blasphemous that is? How utterly blasphemous that is if it's not true. Jesus should have said, get up. Uh, don't worship me. But he bowed to him. And Jesus freely received it, which is another evidence of his deity. Because that would be utterly blasphemous to receive worship from a created being uh, when only God should be getting that worship. My Lord and my God. That's a really good one. And then one of my favorites, now I could give you a dozen, but one of my favorites is Colossians 2.9. For in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form, and you are complete in him. Yeah, that's a beautiful verse. That verse actually delivered me from the, uh, when I was uh, really struggling with the whole charismatic thing, and I felt like an inferior Christian because I had people telling me, you don't have this certain gift, and you got to do this. That verse delivered me. I stopped pretending, you know, to speak in a tongue I didn't know because I wanted to be so accepted. I was a young Christian just trying to figure it all out. And then I read Colossians 2, uh, 9 and 10. You are complete in him. I said, I'm not a second-class Christian. Christ has redeemed me. I think another one is um, John 11, 25. I, I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, so, so many. Uh, he received worship in so many ways. I, I don't have time to go into all that, but um, I, I, there should be a bunch listed in your, in your book here. Uh, I have others. Uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with, with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was our creator. You know, the same with Colossians 1.16, oh, it's so many. Um, the Holy Spirit, pneumatology, P-N-E-U-M, the study of the Spirit, um, is the third person of the Trinity who came forth from the Father and Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, he came to regenerate, sanctify, empower all who believe in Christ. He's our abiding helper, teacher, and guide. We've stressed that in, in this study of John. Uh, I hope that's uh, exalted him just a little bit in your minds and you, you can appeal to him. A little bit more you realize he's there to help you in your understanding of the scriptures and 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 to walk through this life with you it sure it has for us um, we believe also that speaking in tongues that is the miraculous ability to speak in a known foreign intelligible language that's what we believe tongues are uh, has gradually ceased and the working of sign miracles through so, certain selected individuals also has gradually ceased because they've achieved their divine purpose and that divine purpose was the authenticating of both the apostles as spokesmen for God and their message. And now that we have the book, we have the Bible in our hands, we don't need that anymore. Uh, go to the end of Luke 16. Um, I won't take you there. We don't have time. 
but you can read that about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man was saying, please, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip some, I need water in my, in my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. There's an evidence for the, hell, for the doctrine of hell as well, which we also adhere to. Uh, and, and Abraham said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. That's enough. And he said, no, if somebody comes back from the dead, they'll believe. And he said, no, no, they won't. And Jesus came back from the dead. And what happened? They rejected him. So it's, it's, not, it's, not, it does, it's not that somebody needs a miracle to believe. The scriptures are enough. Um, it, it just, just, uh, I, I refer to the scriptures. A friend of mine said this years ago. The Bible's like a caged lion. Uh, you don't have to defend it. You just open the cage and quote the word, and people get saved. Um, quote what the Bible says, and people come to Christ. The power is in the, in the gospel. So, so we don't believe in the sign gifts as some churches uh, do, that they're in, and they're uh, operating today. However, I want to quickly add: Does God do miracles today? Yes. Of course He does. Of course He does. Um, yeah, I, I had one a, a, myself. I, I had pancreatitis. I was in the hospital for a whole week. Uh, I know what it feels like—like like somebody shot shot your stomach um, with a shotgun. The pain was unbelievably intense. I just said, knock me out. Um, uh, months later, the same thing came back. They gave me antibiotics. Couldn't figure out what it was. I kept saying, are you a closet drinker? No, I'm not. I don't drink. I promise. Um, and it came back a, a couple months later, and I was like, I was prepping. I, I was in the shower, and I just started praising the Lord. I said, Lord, I know you could deliver me at any time. I, I, I wish you would, because I really don't want to go through this again because uh, we were about to head to the ER because that same, oh, you know, just, and instantaneously it left me. And I kept going, wait, wait a minute. Maybe it was the pizza. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't rob God of his glory. I, I, that's what I'm telling you. It, it was real. Um, uh, Will Davis told his story of chronic, uh, what do you call it? Chronic, uh, I think he called chronic, chronic vomiting syndrome. He goes, it is what it says. Uh, and he had it for years uh, in and out of the hospital. And, um, and one day he was in the hospital on his own with his, his gown on, and um, uh, he's out there with his little pole, you know, walking around. And he just said, I, I can't do this anymore, God. He was fighting God the whole way. He was, like, he was raised in a Christian home. His, son, his dad, Jim, is out here. Some of you know Jim Davis. Will's the real tall guy. Yeah. Um, and he dropped to his knees said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I give you my life. And he said instantaneously, he could feel something happen in his stomach. And he never had the problem again when it was chronic for years. He was in and out of the hospitals, uh, missed a lot of college because of it. And uh, God delivered him. So do, do miracles happen? Yeah, of course. Could God give me a foreign language if I'm in an Amazon forest and I run into a guy who's got a language that nobody even knows? Could God give me the ability to speak? Of course, of course. But is it, does it happen like it did in the Old Testament? No, we don't see it. Um, we hear anecdotal stories, as you do. Um, but no, we have the Bible. Um, you know, we don't need the signs. We have the Word of God. All right, regeneration, how are we made right with God? How are we forgiven? Uh, we went over that last week. I gave the gospel. Um, Mankind's or mankind is uh, our sinners by amputation, nature, and choice. Um, 
we are required by God to turn from our rebellion against him and receive him as Savior and Lord and give our lives over to him. And when we do that and trust in him and him alone, not our good works, not our good intentions, not our baptism, um, not communion, nothing. Christ and Christ alone. My best example of that is thief on the cross. What could he do? Nothing. Nothing but turn and say, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's right. Um, but then don't forget to give. You got to give. And don't forget, you got to be baptized as soon as you get, you know, no, nothing. He could do nothing. But Jesus saw his heart and saw his attitude. He had turned from his rebellion and his life of being a thief turned to Christ and said, remember me. Jesus saw that in his heart. We couldn't see it, but Jesus saw it and instantly said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's what he'll do for those of us who come to him by faith. And, and, and that faith includes a, a, a turning from your rebellion, as Jeremiah said. He, he was not a Christian when he was baptized at the age of six. Doesn't matter how many pictures he had. He, he came to Christ for real. All right, so here, uh, this, sorry, election um, it's the eternal act of God in which he in his sovereign and good pleasure and on account of his unforeseen, kind of no foreseen merit in those uh, who, uh, who are his elect chooses certain persons to be the recipients of saving grace. Um, I, I mentioned a few verses. I think they're all in there John, from John 6, John 6, 37, John 6, 39, John 6, 44. But Ephesians 1, 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ from, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. When? When? Before the foundation of the world. So everybody in this room who is a Christian, I don't know you all, so I can't speak for all of you, but everybody in this room who is a Christian, you were chosen before the foundation of the world to come to Christ. Uh, you didn't know that. You thought you made a decision for Christ. That's what I thought. I made a decision. I chose. And then I realized, no, he had his hand on me the whole time, guiding me, moving me. Um, does that mean we don't witness? Of course not. I carry these wherever I go. Um, but because I don't know who the elect are. I have no idea. But Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. Uh, we're, the, we're the ones who scatter the seed. God's the one that saves uh, and besides that, it's a whole lot of fun to be used by God to draw someone to Christ. A whole lot of fun. You feel so, like, man, I've achieved my purpose in life. Um, so I know I just barely touched the, the surface of that. Uh, it's a huge doctrine. Uh, it's an important doctrine. I will say this. Rit, um, Jeremiah said this last week. Uh, we, do, we believe strongly here. This is what a Reformed church does. We believe strongly here in the sovereignty of God. He is in charge. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it so well, and he was quoted last week by Jeremiah. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which I rest. Isn't that true? For me, it's become my most precious doctrine where I, at first I was really like, no. John Piper, same testimony, hated it, hated that doctrine. Now it's become his most precious doctrine because we realize we're not the ones in charge. God is in charge. So when you see the world swirling around crazy, things upside down, good is bad, bad is good, well, you're like, 
you recognize none of this is out of his purview. He's in total control. He's the puppeteer. He's controlling. So if you're worried about the upcoming election, about the war in Ukraine, about any of these things, relax. The great puppeteer is orchestrating. He's in control. He's going to bring things all to his glorious end. Our job, be faithful. Just be faithful. Trust him. Uh, baptism, we believe in believer's baptism, not infant baptism. I think that's, uh, um, we, uh, I won't go through that right here. I do have uh, our position on that on a separate piece of paper if you're interested in it. If that's a, a subject that you want to uh, explore a little bit more, maybe you came from a, a church that, um, that taught and practiced infant baptism, well, I want to help you. We have this over here. Uh, we do believe, and it seems clear to us from the scriptures, that those who were baptized were believers. And, uh, and baptism is simply a representation of what Christ has done. Death, burial, resurrection. It's a beautiful symbol, uh, but it has no saving power at all. But it is the first order of obedience. So we do require that as members. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, we do require that. It's the first act of obedience. Uh, I think it was Mark Dever that said, it may be the easiest thing Jesus asks of you to be baptized. So if you balk at that, well, that's a problem. Um, that would be an indication of, of rebellion, um, if I can be frank. So if you haven't been water baptized, you, uh, come to talk to us. We're having one again on February 2nd. We do them three or four times a year. Uh, sign up, uh, call Alex, uh, Master Leonardo, or Sarah. Talk to me. We'll get you signed up, and they will go through uh, the baptism testimony that you'll be giving. Um, and it's a wonderful experience. So I'm, I highly recommend that you do that. And then finally, communion. Uh, we believe um, that the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ for commemoration of his death. It is our belief that these ordinances should be observed until the Lord returns. We do not teach that the elements of communion become the literal body and blood of Christ. We do teach that the bread, that is the juice, the wine, symbolically represent the willful surrender of the body and blood of Christ in dying for our sins. It's symbolic, not literal. Uh, not, not, that doesn't save you. It doesn't help you. We try to practice these on a monthly basis during the church service. could be today. I don't even know. I'm not sure. Um, so that, that's all of it. I'm sorry I had to rush through the tail end of that. And look, they're almost done. you got to scoop right into the service. Any questions? Uh, feel free to ask me later if you want. Um, you, my phone number's in the book. Call me. Um, and if you want that uh, doctrinal statement on baptism, uh, let me close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. And I pray again for Rich, who now has to preach a second service. Uh, I know he's still tired from being so sick, and I pray that you'll empower him and help him uh, as he preaches to us who are about to head in there. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.